Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hello and welcome to the Indie Cider Podcast, where I play indie games and then interview the developers. I'm your host, Ken Gagney, and this week I'm playing Induction by Brian Gale, released on February 7th for Mac, Windows, and Linux on Steam, Humble, and Itch.io. Induction is a time-bending puzzle game played from an isometric perspective. You play a little square that goes rolling around a geometric terrain. It's a pretty Spartan design, but it works well for this game. In each level, there is a silhouette of a square, and your goal is simply to place your character, your rolling around square, in that empty space. You just have to get from point A to point B. That's the entire level. The level is just a single screen, so it should be easy, but it's not. There are switches to activate, bridges to build, and obstacles to overcome. And sometimes the only way you can get past it all is if there were two of you. Fortunately, in this game, there are, or there can be. At any time, you can press the space bar, and the level resets to how it originally was. Except you're still in the same spot as where you were when you pressed space bar. You don't move back to the beginning. However, as soon as you press space bar, the level starts playing itself over with a recording of everything you've done up until that point. You're basically watching yourself from a minute ago. And now that you are in a different spot in the level, or you have manipulated the furniture in the level, things might play out differently. That block that you were pushing before, you might now be sitting on, and you are giving yourself a ride. It's a little bit hard to describe, and it's even harder to understand. The best metaphor I can think of is the movie Primer. If you've seen that time travel movie, and how difficult it is to get your head around all the different timelines, then you have a pretty good idea of what induction is about. There are about 50 levels in the game, including some branching paths and side quests. There are achievements. There are accessibility options, including the ability to remap the controls or activate a grayscale mode. And there's also, like the minimalistic visual design, a minimalistic soundtrack by Mr. Timothy Scheel of Melbourne, Australia. You'll hear in this interview how he and Brian Gale of London, England met. Brian did provide me with a copy of this game for the purpose of this interview, but you can find the game at InductionGame.com and Brian on Twitter at Brian Gale. That's Brian with a Y. You can also find the interview you're about to hear paired with gameplay footage in which I complete the first 10 or 15 levels or so at IndieCider.net, where you can also leave a comment, a voicemail, a review on iTunes, or tweet at me on Twitter at GameBits with suggestions of other games you'd like to see featured on this show. And so, without any further ado, here's this week's interview. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to the IndieSire Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Today I'm chatting with Brian Gale, the developer of Induction, released on February 7th on Steam for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Hello, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So at the time of this recording, it's February 3rd. It's a few days before the release of Induction. You must be very busy coming down to the wire, getting the game ready for release. Um, I'm kind of in this weird limbo position right now. So the game went out to press a couple of weeks ago for reviews, and it was kind of done at this point. So on the one hand, it feels like very like stressful and hectic. On the other hand, I don't actually have a great deal to do right now. It's like it's just like lots of kind of checking and double checking and tweeting that kind of thing. Is there a deadline by which you have to submit the very final version to Steam in case you find a last-minute bug? Um, I, I I don't think there is. I think I can just like do it right up to a wire. But unless something, unless kind of I get like a crash appearing with the logs, there's not everything's kind of very stable right now, which I'm qu- quite happy about. I'm sure that's good for your peace of mind because you don't want to be working on this up until the eleventh hour. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd rather not. <laughs> 
Great. So I've been playing this game on and off for the last few weeks. As you said, it went out to the press. And I know you've been playing this game and working on it for much longer than that. I understand development began as long as four years ago in 2013. Uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been about three and a half years. So it started, yeah, it was October 2013. Wow. And what is it that takes four years to make an indie game? Is that the usual turnaround time? I definitely didn't want it to take this long. In my head, it would be like, it was something like, I mean, this is my first project as an indie developer, and I kind of thought, like, for my first project, I want to get something out in like six months or so. And I'd kind of, I'd kind of had in mind, hey, maybe I'll do a game about time travel. But then I tried very hard to avoid doing it as my first game because I could see it, I could see it ballooning into this big thing that I didn't want. But then nothing else I tried doing before that, before that, kind of grabbed me quite as much. So I was like, okay, I will have to do my game about time travel first before I do anything else. And then here I am, three and a half years later. What would you say was the part of the game that took up most of that time? Was it the level design? Was it the playtesting? The soundtrack? What was it? I think it, it took about a year or so to kind of really nail down the mechanics. That was that was a lot of trial and error. How the game is now, with each level you start off with a single jump through time, you press a button and you jump back to the start of the timeline. How it started off was you'd kind of be able to kind of rewind back and forth through time like a videotape, and you'd be able to kind of do it as many times as you liked and there was this kind of it, it took me a while to kind of get over this kind of mental hurdle of taking away the infinite time jumps because I'd, I'd had in my head like I wanted to be generous I wanted to like give you infinite time jumps but then when I took that away it was like a revelatory moment of like oh this is this is the game now this is the bit that's interesting the interesting bit here is what can you actually do with a single time jump so kind of iterating it down and refining it and simplifying that took a while um, there was like there was another design detail I went down where you'd press a button and instead of jumping back in time, you'd actually reverse the flow of time. So you'd be going forward and then like everything else would be rewinding around you. And you could kind of do that as many times as you wanted. So you could kind of keep flipping flow of time back and forth. So kind of experimenting with that kind of thing, like infinite time jumps, kind of rewinding, fast forwarding, um, kind of time flipping, getting those kind of bad ideas out of the way kind of took a long time. Do you consider those bad ideas or just ideas that weren't a good fit for this game? Maybe like ideas that weren't a good fit for this game, or at least ideas that were hard to build a game's worth of puzzles around. Like the time flipping idea, I, I really liked that, and I think maybe it's something I'll come back to at some point. It's just I didn't it didn't feel like there was enough there for a whole game. When you say it's hard to build a whole game of puzzles around, how long does it take to design a single puzzle? Because you have to be thinking in four dimensions before you even start plotting out the level. It's it's must be quite the brain freeze. Um, it is. It's, it's really hard to, to kind of put a time frame on how long it takes to build an individual puzzle. Because it's not like I will sit down and think, like, I'm going to build a puzzle today. It's, it's kind of, I'll do a few puzzles. I'll do, I'll do a few puzzles. I'll play test them i see and like i'd see what came out of that and then i'd refine them from there like a lot of the time what happened i'd, I'd make a first pass at a puzzle and then i'd play test it a bit and i'd like watching someone playing i would see first of all okay i'd, I'd realize that okay maybe there's there's more than one problem inside this puzzle and this could perhaps be split out into two puzzles or i would see a player they'd, they'd try a solution that didn't work but then i think maybe i can build a puzzle where that is the solution so it's kind of this very kind of gradual process of refinement rather than like sitting down saying like, this is a puzzle I'm going to build now. Interesting. 
It sounds like over the three and a half years you were working on this game, development really hit its stride when you were accepted into Stugan. Is that correct? Um, where I say it really hit its stride was um, being accepted into the Leftfield collection at um, EGX in 2014. That was the first time I'd really put the game in front of a big audience. And that was kind of, it kind of just gave me this moment of like, oh, maybe this is a game, something I should take seriously. And I kind of think if it hadn't been for the Leftfield collection, induction would still kind of be like my side project between freelance work. And for those of us on the other side of the pond, what is Left Field? Okay, so um, it's a big games event in London called EGX. And as part of it, I have kind of a curated a curated indie section where we give some free space to kind of up-and-coming game developers. And I was lucky enough to get accepted to that. Excellent. So that was back in 2014. And then a year later, in 2015, you were part of an accelerator program? Uh, yes, so Stugan. So Stugan was... Um, it was kind. Of, I guess the best way to sum it up is it's uh, a summer camp for game developers. So it's um, it's it's something that's kind of been put together by these um, very successful people in the Swedish games industry. They take a dozen or so developers and put them out in these cabins in the beautiful Swedish countryside. And there was like a lake we could swim in. There was a sauna. The countryside was absolutely beautiful. They provided food and everything for us, and it was this absolutely fantastic environment to work in because it, it kind of turns out like once you take away like the normal stresses of everyday life if you're not thinking about bills if you're not thinking about paying a rent if you're not thinking about oh i have to go to the supermarket and buy food just and you can just kind of like focus all your energy on your game and you've not got you've not kind of like got a, like, like a lot of clutter inside your head once all that clutter is cleared then you can kind of you can kind of like go deeper on your design. That sounds wonderful. There are so many side projects I would love to have a week to focus on. And if I could do that in a space designed for that kind of focus, I just, I imagine I would get a lot more done and I'd be a lot happier about it too. Yeah. And it was also great being surrounded by other games developers because they're always kind of such, it's such an inspiration, kind of like having other talented people around you. Yeah. That's one of the important things that I think indie developers need to be aware of is that even though you're operating as an indie, not necessarily in collaboration with other people, it's still helpful to be in a community of indie developers. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I read on your website that this game was inspired by you being asked the question of whether or not the original Terminator movie made <laughs> sense. And that's one of my favorite movies, and that's a good question. And I'm wondering, how did that inspiration work, and what is your answer to that question? Well, I, 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 I kind of had in mind that I wanted to make this game about time travel, but I wasn't, I wasn't exact for a long time. I wasn't exactly sure how to make a game about time travel or what particular focus I wanted it to have. Like, for example, one idea I played with was it would be a stealth game. I would make a stealth time travel game. So. Because you, you kind of get this nice trade-off of this. Like, on the one hand, you'd have your time trial powers. On the other hand, if you're jumping back in time, there's lots of you to hide. So I was, I was kind of like trying to find a way of like narrowing down my focus. So I wasn't just trying to do time travel. I was trying to do like a particular element of time travel. And then watching The Terminator, there's this plot point in The Terminator where, and I, hopefully I'm not spoiling it too much because the film's like 30 years old. So um, a guy gets sent back in time who then becomes a father of the guy who sent him back in time. So you kind of have this cause and effect loop. And I was kind of like discussing with my friend, like, is this, is this, is this okay? If you have time travel, does the laws of physics allow those kind of loops to happen? And that kind of gave me my, my focus of the game because I wanted, I kind of, want this game to then be about like building those sorts of time loops and to kind of make it so that those kind of time loops are kind of at least halfway intuitive 
like a, a line I'm using a lot is that I want this game to rewire how you think about cause and effect. And that's, that kind of sums it up really well, I think. I want, I want kind of these weird scenarios to then become intuitive. Yeah, the movie that this game most made me think of was Primer, which is a very difficult movie to get your head around because there are so many different timelines. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you, you put that in your email. I was like so happy when I saw it. I was like, yes, that's kind of what I wanted. You want people's heads to hurt? <laughs> a bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting showing us at events is watching people get very, very frustrated with a game, but still refusing to walk away. Oh, that's been that's been interesting because like, oh hey, there's, there's other stuff you could go play, go and play, but you're sticking up my game, which is looks like it's making you a bit angry, but you're still sticking with it, and that's interesting. And I feel like it makes me feel like I've got my hooks into you somehow. So there are a lot of movies that deal with time travel, such as The Terminator, Predestination, tons of Star Trek, but there are also a lot of video games that deal with it, like Blink's The Time Sweeper or Sega's Time Traveler Hologram. I've never played a game quite like Induction, though. What would you say are some of your comparables or some of your contemporaries in the time travel puzzler genre? Um, so there's an unreleased game um, but it's, it's coming out sometime this year called Still Time by a developer called Alan Zaccone. So he's he's another um, London-based indie developer. And I've, I've, I've only played this game very briefly, but... Um, his game was actually kind of had quite a large influence on mine because it kind of pushed me to go in a different direction. Originally, my game was very, very similar to his game. I mean, like seeing his game and playing it a bit, that kind of prompted me to kind of push my design further to kind of try and get away from what he was doing. So kind of just having that was kind of, as I said, kind of like massively kind of shaped the game up. I've made. Excellent. I'm looking forward to playing that game. Do you consider that a competitor to Induction? Um, I, I wouldn't quite say competitor. So they're very different games. Um, this game is launching. Um, Still Time is launching on PS4 and PS Vita first, I believe. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't um, so much see us competitors. We've even we've like joked that at some point maybe we'll do a time travel bundle. Oh, that'd be fun. I would definitely buy that. Yeah, yeah. And um, another game I really want to mention is Thomas Was Alone. Really? Because I've I have played that one. That doesn't strike me as a time travel game. It's not. It's not so much like it's a time travel game. It's that. Um, I mean, it's it's not a time travel game. It's what what kind of what was inspiration about Thomas was alone was just I, I I saw Thomas was alone as kind of permission to make a game like the one I'm making. In fact, Thomas was alone. It was it was one developer. There wasn't. There, it didn't have an artist on board. It had like this very simple art style. And I, I, I worked with um, I worked with Mike before Thomas was Alone's developer back at Boss Studios, and kind of seeing him make for his game, it was kind of it, it kind of made it okay. I kind of hadn't twigged that okay, you can just kind of go it alone and just kind of make your own thing, and that's and put it out there as something that people might buy. So Thomas was Alone was kind of really inspirational in that way. One of the similarities I've seen between your game and Thomas Was Alone was the geometric protagonist, as opposed to a more identifiably human one, like in Monument Valley. Why did you choose mm-hmm. to go with a square instead of a person? Um, it's it's kind of just working within my skills. So my background my background is as a programmer, and so I kind of wanted to keep my game kind of something that I could plausibly make myself. So I kind of wanted to keep the art style simple. So I'm just all I'm thinking about is kind of shapes and colors rather than having to kind of figure out a walk cycle or draw a face. And what about the name induction? I looked it up online and there is a mathematical induction that I'm not familiar with since that's not my background, but is that what inspired the name of this game? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is very much. So um, so induction is a mathematical technique for working with infinities. 
So if you have a, if you have a statement and you kind of want to if you want to if you have like a mathematical statement and you want to prove infinite variations of that statement, induction is is kind of kind of a way of setting up mathematical dominoes. So you push your first domino, and then the rest of the dominoes fall over, and you've kind of proven proven this infinite number of statements. And that ties into my game because I see it as each time you jump through time, you're actually creating infinite timelines. So you jump back in time, and that creates you're suddenly in a new timeline. But then there's a version of you in that timeline that then jumps back in time, and that's creating another timeline, and so on and so forth. So there's these infinite timelines, and that's sort of how it relates to induction, but in a mathematical sense. And how did you become acquainted with that concept? Are you a mathematician? Um, so I studied mathematics at university, and I, I do feel like it's been a big influence on how I've approached uh, making this game. Like designing the puzzles has felt very much kind of stimulating in the same way that doing kind of degree level mathematics is stimulating. And I feel like it's kind of influenced kind of how how rigorous I've tried to be with the physics of this game. I've, I've I've tried to kind of not compromise on kind of how my model of time travel works. There's, there would have been kind of ways I could have done it that would have made things easier on me and easier on the player. But I've kind of wanted to keep to something kind of very, very kind of strict. Would you say that for budding developers, whether or not they want to work in time travel, that mathematics is something that they need to be comfortable with in order to be a programmer? I, I wouldn't say something you need. I feel like I feel like it's been an inspiration for me making my particular game, but I don't think it's something you strictly need. It's definitely it's definitely useful. It's definitely it's definitely it's definitely useful. And when I've worked with other people who've also had a background in mathematics, I, th I think there is a definite style of program that people who have studied mathematics kind of then adopt, and it's a style of kind of obviously I quite like. I, I wouldn't say it's one hundred percent essential, but it's definitely it's definitely kind of an influence. I suppose it depends to a degree on the engines you're going to be using, because if there is a complicated physics engine that you need to use in a game, math might be more relevant there than it might in say Bejeweled. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're doing kind of like low-level graphics programming or kind of like low-level, if you're writing a physics engine, then it's probably kind of quite essential. Yes, yeah. But I'd go, for game development in general, to just like go out and make a game. I don't. I like a lot of the time you can just kind of get something off a shelf that's doing like the hard mathsy stuff for you. Going back on where you got the name induction from and mathematical induction, all the infinite timelines. We could trade sci-fi tales back and forth all day, but one I want to mention is the book "The Man Who Folded Himself" by David Gerald. Do you know that one? Um, I can't say I've heard of it. Oh, it came out in 1973. It's written by the same gentleman who wrote the script for the triple episode of Star Trek back in the 60s. Okay. And in that book, this person becomes able to time travel, and he can obliterate his own history, his own existence, but he himself does not stop existing. He just moves into a timeline where he never existed. And so it sounds a little bit like induction, where you can alter your own history without altering your present self. How I'm viewing the physics of induction is that you're trying to you're trying to build a stable timeline, timeline, and as well as taking kind of this inspiration from mathematics, I'm also taking this inspiration from quantum physics. So when I say stable timeline, what I mean is one that's kind of triggers an infinite set of identical timelines, because I view it in a kind of a quantum mechanical way, or at some point all these timelines kind of get smooshed together and averaged out. And if you're on kind of like the average timeline, then you're on the stable timeline and your solution will kind of survive at the end of the level. If you're on a unique timeline and then every other timeline is different, when the timelines get smooshed together, then whatever you've done will get lost. 
So that's kind of how I'm drawing on kind of quantum physics and the mechanics of induction. So what you're saying is that your model of temporal mechanics is actually founded in science, not just some game developer's idea of how it should work. Um, a little bit. I've definitely taken inspirations there, and I've tried to be, I've tried to kind of do something that to me feels honest. I mean, I don't kind of don't want to overplay the kind of like it, I don't want to overplay it kind of being physically plausible, but it's I've kind of tried to stick with something that to me feels kind of honest. Fascinating. Wow. Uh, I want to talk a bit more about how the game got developed. For example, you have worked at some major studios, including Electronic Arts, and you've made uh, browser games, mobile games, etc. How did that experience of working in AAA industry prepare you to be an indie developer? Um, I mean, first of all, I wasn't quite in AAA. When I was at, when I was at EA, I was at an um, internal studio called Playfish, who were one of the first Facebook game developers. Um, so it was it wasn't quite AAA. It was more kind of AAA seeing Facebook as this hot new thing that was going to make a lot of money for them. And as it turned out, I think EA turned out to have not to have done so well on Facebook. I don't think. But how I think it prepared me, um, I, I think it's kind of it gave me like good preparation for kind of working on a long kind of multi-year project. Um, I think it's prepared me well in terms of knowing that stuff can go wrong last minute so I feel like I've approached this in a very conservative way in terms of what my de- my internal deadline was before launch kind of like and how much time I was leaving um, I think if I didn't have that background like launch would be a lot more rushed and a lot more hectic um, and just it was just like generally good practice as a programmer to kind of like be going to do, be doing my programming to be doing my first indie game after having kind of had five years experience kind of working on games like as part of the studio so it sounds like ea laid a great foundation not only ea but your other uh companies that you've worked for laid a good foundation for you to be an indie developer but it's also a very different environment you're in now you have a lot fewer resources a much smaller budget other than those obvious things though that a big studio can provide that an indie may not be able to what is something that you miss about working in that environment? Something I missed when I first went in indie was uh, having having a routine or having a reason to stick to a routine. Like uh, when I first started working my game, I was kind of working seven days a week because I didn't have in, weekends. Kind of weren't a thing that were externally given. They were something I and they weren't a thing I was only given. I had to sort of realize for myself, oh, I should probably start taking weekends and not be working on my game seven days a week. So kind of giving myself, I had to realize that, oh, this structure has been taken away. I need to give it to myself. Yeah, that sort of structure is much easier to maintain when it's externally imposed. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of don't, it kind of took me a while to realize that was something that had been taken away, or at least I'd, I'd kind of walked away from. And of course, one of the other big changes going from EA to being an indie developer is not necessarily working with a team anymore, but you didn't work entirely alone on induction. You had the fantastic soundtrack of Tim Scheel for induction. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's been, yeah, it's been really great working with Tim. So I'd kind of been uh, a bit out of lots kind of like who I wanted to get to compose a soundtrack for my game. And then when I was showing it, um, as part of the indie mega booth at PAX in Boston, Tim came up to me. I was like, "Hey, I'd like to do music for your game." And I was like, "Yes." So I, I vaguely, I vaguely knew of him from his work on Duet, but I hadn't really considered him as someone to approach. I kind of thought, I don't know, I just hadn't like hadn't hadn't kind of quite clicked for me. But then when he like came and spoke to me, I was like, "Oh my god, you are the right person to make the soundtrack for my game." And I was just really, really excited to have him on board. 
That's great. I was wondering how the two of you met because you're in London. He is, I believe, in Melbourne, Australia. So that's half a world apart. And here you are yeah, collaborating yeah. on a game because you met right in my own hometown of Boston. Yeah, time time zones time zones have been tricky, but it's just about worked. I can imagine there aren't many times when you're replying to each other immediately. Um, not many. You know, no, no. <laughs> we've kind of kind of managed things with like Skype calls and with email, and we've kind of we've kind of we've kind of managed to like get into like a good regular structure of kind of back and forth, and that's been very helpful. Excellent. So, at some of your previous studios, you worked on such games as Tiny Games and Sesame Street Tiny Games, Pepper Panic Saga, which at some point were also released for mobile, uh, in addition to being browser games. But Induction, by contrast, is releasing on Steam. Why did you choose that platform instead of mobile? Um, it just seemed, it seemed very much like the easiest first platform to do. Um, I, I've got like no particular loyalty to any particular platform, and once it's out on PC, then I'll be looking into what's next, whether it's console or mobile or whatever. So Steam, getting on Steam was just kind of like the easiest, like the easiest thing to do, and and getting on once you kind of gone through the greenlight process, then there's no real barriers to updating. It, it seems like a good first platform to do because you can kind of you can update it when you want. You can, you can like build up a community, and then from there, it kind of makes sense to kind of take that as a launchpad to kind of other platforms. So you will be taking induction to other platforms. I'd like to. I kind of don't want to commit to anything right now, but it's something I'm going to look more into once launch is out of the way. Well, I would like to see that because this is a game. If you can figure out the controls right, I would love to see myself playing on my iPad Mini when I'm sitting on the subway. I mean, the very earliest versions of the game. They were they were on PS Vita. Um, uh, up until, I mean, after it was. I think it was up until 2015. Um, it was very easy to get Unity games up and running on Vita. So I'd kind of have my PC build, and then when I was going to events, I'd kind of like take my Vita version as well. And that was kind of really great to just hand to people, and they would say like, "Be like, hey, play my game now." And what happened to the Vita version? Uh, at some point, Sony discontinued um, Unity support for Vita, so that kind of put that on hold for a bit. So I mean, I mean, if if the Vita's still alive, maybe I'll come back and do a Vita version. But I feel like that 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 ship has sailed now. It seems like your resources could be better spent elsewhere. Possibly, yes. Excellent. Well, like I said, this is February third. We're recording. It's airing on February eighth, the day after your game came out. I'm hoping that you're keeping your head on your shoulders and that the reception is good. It sounds like some of the pre-release uh, media that you've been getting is positive. You're, are you happy with the feedback you're hearing right now? Um, I am, yeah. It's, it's making me very hopeful for how the launch is going to go. Excellent. So remind our viewers where they can find your game and yourself online. Um, so Induction will be on Steam, Humble, and Itch.io from February 7th. Um, and you can also go to www.inductiongame.com. And if they want to follow yourself on Twitter? So I am Brian Gale on Twitter, and that's Brian with a Y. Excellent. Brian Gale, developer of Induction. Thank you so much for your time. Cool. Thank you for having me on. This has been IndieCider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.